Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. We stand in awe at what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So six weeks and two nights ago, Christians all across the world in various churches and homes came together to meet to do something extremely strange. The palm leaves from the previous year's Palm Sunday service, palms which symbolize royalty and praise and hosanna, palms that we wove or that we rose and waved um, earlier this week. Those had been burned and turned into black soot. And then they were marked on our heads in the sign of the cross, reminding us that despite our best efforts, death will come. So I remember uh, I was probably the first time as a minister when I had the opportunity to administer the ashes on people's foreheads uh, at a church in Alabama. And this was right after we had given birth to our third-born child. And she was... She was the first one to come up. And I remember this little bundle of life and grace. In fact, her name, Karis, means grace. I remember her coming up and dipping my fingers in the gritty ash and putting it on her soft baby forehead. And the juxtaposition of that gritty ash and the soft forehead just absolutely pierced me to the soul. You see, this is a dark message of Lent that sin and the chaos that bursts out of it is a real threat to the human soul. But praise be to God that for every Ash Wednesday, there is a Good Friday. You see, while the chaos is deep and thick and it's overwhelming, there is a deep goodness to be found here tonight. But before we get to that goodness, we must descend into the chaos that it brought, or that caused it. So, as we've just heard from the story, Jesus is betrayed from one of his disciples, one of his closest friends. Peter, the one who Jesus had called the rock, has denied him three times. And all the other disciples, except for one, had left and scattered Jesus. The Jewish leaders had taken him, and they've, they've tried him now. They've mocked him, and they've turned him over to Pilate. Jesus is given up by his own people and now he stands trial in front of Rome itself. Well, Pilate asks Jesus about the authority from which Jesus comes. His alleged kingship as well. And they dialogue about this. They talk about this. And at one point, Jesus looks at Pilate and he says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate, in cynicism or in apathy, I don't know, kind of huffs. And he says, what is truth? Maybe this was a genuine inquiry. And this is, in fact, the essential question that every human being is asking in the core of their soul. It is a deep, deep truth, or a deep question that we ask. 
in the midst of the chaos that we see, in the midst of the suffering that we experience, we wonder, is there any truth? Is there any order to this? Is there any meaning to this? We ask right alongside Pilate. And the irony of it is that standing right in front of Pilate is truth incarnate. He's looking truth in the eye. Pilate, do you want to find freedom from the struggles of power that you're facing? Or meaningless death? Or needless suffering? The answer is right in front of you. And truth speaks. He actually speaks. The word made flesh. The one whose word brought order to the cosmos. And clarity to the world. The one who brought beauty and life into the world is standing there. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. What is truth, Pilate asks? Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Pilate then goes outside to contend with the Jews again. And the Jews are impatient with Pilate. They know what they want, and they want it so badly, don't they? And they yell out to Pilate, He's claiming to be the son of God. Well, this is a phrase that Pilate knows well, and it rattles him to the absolute core. You see, his emperor, Caesar himself, was referred to as the son of God. And he was the one to whom he had the divine blood, an absolute authority over the entire world. And so Pilate is afraid of that moment. And he quickly tries to tell the Jews, I find no guilt in this man. He is absolutely innocent. But the Jews are insistent. The Jews are absolutely insistent. They say, he makes himself a king. And we have no king but Caesar. This is absolutely flabbergasting, isn't it? You see, the Jews have been hoping for freedom from their Roman oppressor for centuries. And now they bow to Caesar? Now they say that Caesar is where their allegiance lies? Well, some things never change. First, it's the golden calf. Then it's the Asherah poles and the Baal worship. Now they're pledging allegiance to Caesar himself. We have no king but Caesar, they say. And so I think through this, they reveal their actual allegiance is to no one else but themselves. Have they forgotten Yahweh entirely? You know, these stories of Holy Week, um, it's easy to see ourselves inside of them. In fact, if we were at cross last night, uh, Dennis said that same thing. We read these stories and they're absolutely heartbreaking because we see ourselves in them. Like the Jews, we stand there with a veneer of righteousness. Others might find us admirable or spiritually superior, but beneath it all, we use our religion when it's convenient to us, don't we? When truth actually shows up, we rationalize or argue it away. My sexuality is my own business and no one else's, maybe we say. Or the poor and the refugee, they deserve to suffer in the way that they do. I don't need to open my home to them. You see, religion can easily be but a veneer. Or we can stand like Pilate. We've been mystified by the reality of Jesus himself. And perhaps we've had moments of the sublime. Our consciences have been pricked. But ultimately, it's the voice of others 
who come and steer our decisions. We have, to, our repu- we have our reputation to uphold, don't we? So rather than pursue the truth, we succumb to the peer pressure. But maybe we stand like the disciples. We've been following after Jesus in his footsteps for years and years. We've listened to his teaching. We've dined with him. We've even seen him work in miraculous ways. But when the fear and the confusion comes, we quickly flee and hide. You see, it's easy to see ourselves in the story. We see the sin that flows from our own hearts, and we see the chaos that it creates around us in our world, and that chaos consumes us. And it's at the hands of this chaos that Jesus is handed over and crucified. He's beaten, he's mocked, then he's hoisted high upon a cross. And then the chaos consumes him too. Or does it? You see, from the cross, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, It is finished. And immediately we're reminded of what he said earlier. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. And it is finished. Truth prevails. Here, sin finally comes to an end. So why is Good Friday called good? Because this is the night in which all that the prophets had foretold comes to its fruition. This is the night in which the Father's will is finally accomplished. Here, on this night, this is when sins are forgiven and death itself is put to death. Just as all things were called into existence through the word, now all things are brought to their finish by the death of God's Son upon the cross. It is finished. And from that death of Jesus flows the fountain of forgiveness. We see water that washes away the depths of guilt and the darkest of sins. We see blood that provides the richest of life and the fullness of joy. And this fountain never runs dry. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to cast your cares upon the cross. The sin that you struggle with. The chaos that's around your world. The fears that bubble up from within you. Cast them upon the cross of Christ. Where sin is squelched. Where chaos is closed. And death has died. I love towards the end of our reading from this passage, the author John leaps out of the pages and he grips us by the collar. He says, I was here, I saw these things. The words that I'm writing, they're absolutely true. I saw Jesus die, John writes. And he says that he writes these things so that we may believe. Not totally, but simply believe that we might have a small mustard seed size of faith. And belief, that word doesn't mean just to make some sort of mental um, checklist and check off the box. Yes, I believe Jesus died upon the cross. No, belief is a whole body experience. He wants us to love him with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. He wants us to cast our faith upon him. To throw our trust entirely upon Christ and his cross. Because here is where our sins are covered up. And here is when guilt can haunt you no more. 
So in our service, we're going to do something that might be a little strange uh, to some of you. Christians have been doing this for a very, very long time on this night. But in a few moments, Kevin and I are going to be bringing this cross out here where I'm standing and laying it down on the ground. And if you're able, I invite you to come and to kneel upon the cross. Christians have found it helpful to um, come and pray before the cross in a very real and tangible way. A time to give your, your thanks to Christ. A time to pray and cast your sins upon the cross. So we'll be moving it down for that. So again, tonight, I pray that... Well, please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ... What you have done for us is unimaginable. But you were lifted up high upon that cross. You took our punishment upon yourself and put it to death so that we may no longer be haunted by sin and chaos and death. Lord, we are forever grateful for this. And we come to you tonight to give you thanks and praise. We love you and it's in your name, Lord Christ, we pray. Amen.